Hello everyone, this is Trevor with Tea Time Reports. Thank you all for joining me on this great morning, or you know, whenever you're listening to this. But uh, it is the 20th, and uh, we've got a lot to cover here. And in this episode, it's going to be a nice little solo movie review on the film The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino. Let me just pull up some of the basic facts and some of the movie information here so that we can go over it. Um, before I get into any like the numbers, the dates, the you know the production company, the director, let me just go ahead and read the um, I guess the movie info slash summary of the film. While racing toward the town of Red Rock in post Civil War Wyoming, bounty hunter John the Hangman Ruth, aka Kurt Russell, and his fugitive prisoner, aka Jennifer Jason Lee, who uh, she won an Oscar for this film as well, encounter another bounty hunter, Samuel L. Jackson and a man who claims to be a sheriff, hoping to find shelter from a blizzard, the group travels to a stagecoach stopover located on a mountain pass. Greeted there by four strangers, the eight travelers soon learn that they may not make it to their destination after all. Um, this is obviously R-rated. Um, director is Quentin Tarantino. Produced by Richard N. Gladstein and Stacy Schur and Shannon McIntosh. Written by Quentin Tarantino. The release date was December 30th, 2015 worldwide. And the release date for streaming platforms was March 29th, 2016. The box office gross in the U.S. was $54.1 million. And the runtime is nearly three hours long. The distributor was a Weinstein Company, as well as the production company was A Band Apart. The sound mixing company was Datasat Dolby. So just really cool to, uh, you know, kind of get the... The backstory on some of the film um, information, as well as, let me just go over the cast briefly and some of the performances that stuck out to me more than anything. Um, really loved Samuel L. Jackson in this film. He really kind of captivates you as the main character, almost antagonist, but he's also like the protagonist because, you know, he was, um, you know, an African-American man in this time, and it's a rough time to be any person of color because of how, you know, one-sided the world was. But, um, you know, his character is really cool, uh, really awesome plot line for him, and a good build-up to kind of build up his, like, actual persona, because, like, you don't really know who he is until he kind of, like, lets you know or lets another character know. Um, this isn't full of flashbacks or, like, context-filling, you know, throwback scenes and stuff like that, but I really enjoyed Samuel L. Jackson's character as Major Marquez Warren, um, played, like, a cavalry officer for the Union, and, um you know, went on the run because he apparently burned down an entire prison, killing even Union soldiers. But he was kind of like a rogue man, if you will. Really cool character. Loved Samuel L. Jackson in this. I loved Kurt Russell in this as John Ruth. Um, not Neither of those guys are my favorite performance, which might be shocking, because they both really genuinely kind of seal the deal for why this movie is really fucking good. Not one of Quentin Tarantino's best. Uh, honestly, I would consider this maybe one of his worst, and that's not saying much. But um, th this movie as a whole, pretty cool idea, kind of used before in that, like, um, you know, kind of mystery, in-one-place type of way um, film. And he did that with Reservoir Dogs, with, which was his first film in the early 90s. But Kurt Russell played a really cool character, had a really awesome mustache, um, really aggressive and just all over the place, but really captivating to watch as well. They both really nailed their personalities and character traits and made their characters individualized and made them stand out, you know, because you're either going to like one or the other, or maybe even both, because they both kind of butt heads here and there, Kurt Russell and Samuel L. Jackson's character, but at the end of the day, they both kind of have the common goal of, yo, we need to get to Red Rock. Uh, we also, scratch that, we need to get to safety. <laughs> but um, 
I was talking about Jennifer Jason Lee played Daisy Domergue, um, and she, you know, I don't know how she won the Oscar this year. There really wasn't much else contending. Don't get me wrong, she has a really good performance. She plays a psych, like a sociopath, pretty well. Someone who's like pretty desperate and has lost it all. Uh, John Ruth, aka the Hangman, aka Kurt Russell, um, is taking uh, Daisy Domerhue to Red Rock to be hung. Um, and you know, obviously, Kurt Russell and Samuel Jackson are both bounty hunters um, in this time, and she, you know, isn't alone. We'll say that much. And then, you know, she had a really good performance towards the end, especially she was kind of used more than anything. Um, you know, her character was used more than anything in the end. Throughout the whole movie, she's like very quiet, kind of just thrown around like trash. But, um, you know, pretty pretty solid performance by Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, shout out to her. But my favorite performance of the film is Walter Goggins. Walton Goggins, excuse me. Um, he played Sheriff Chris Mannix. Um, just a completely racist piece of shit. But he's a loose cannon. And at the end of the movie, he kind of comes full circle, and I'm not going to sit here and say he learns his lesson on racism, because that would be too good to be true, but um, he actually does team up with Samuel L. Jackson, an African-American, and, you know, kind of realizes, man, I'm, I'm an obnoxious piece of shit that's going to die if I don't actually just, you know, kind of open my mind and arms up to everyone that's willing to help and I'm willing to help type shit. So I, I really liked that full circle um, for his plot line and story. Um, but just overall, I think Walton Goggins is really funny, charismatic, and just one of my favorite, like, you know, I'm not saying extras, but supporting actors of all time. I mean, he's been in some really good movies, from the first Jason Bourne movie, to Ant-Man 2, where he's really funny, to this. I mean, he's been in a lot of really good stuff, and I really appreciated his performance in The Hateful Eight as well. Um, Damien Bisher played Bob. Um, didn't really have much, you know, as far as personality. Other than, you know, he was named Bob, and, like, the joke is that, you know, Samuel Jackson kind of didn't trust anyone in the haberdashery, which a haberdashery is, like, a small inn, you know, for those stagecoats, which are those, like, massive carts that they pull with horses. So if there's ever a storm, or, like, you're trying to stop in and get some food, some cigarettes, some rest, you'd pull into a haberdashery. Um, but Samuel Jackson's character, when he walks in initially, he's been to this haberdashery many times before, and Senior Bob... Uh, literally comes up and, you know, he, he puts the horses away. And that was an immediate red flag for Samuel L. Jackson's character, Major Marquez Warren, because he literally was like, Bob, I'm not calling you a liar, but I don't believe you either. You know, and he, he, later on in the film, he goes into depth. He's like, you know how I know you were lying, Bob? Because before um, the owners of the haberdashery, you know, quote, I don't remember their names. I think it was Minnie. And, um... Something else, the guy's name I can't remember, but the owners of the haberdashery never allowed Mexicans and dogs into the haberdashery. So Samuel Jackson, you know, put that together immediately and was like, there's no way that the owners of this haberdashery would leave the the safety of it in the hands of a Mexican. And that kind of set off the, the whole chain of events where it kind of led into no one trusts anyone. And it's, it's really, it's really, you know, interesting and um, oh, it's Minnie and Ed. They both own the haberdashery. Um, but other notable performances and actors in this film uh, were was Tim Roth. He played Oswaldo Mowbray. A really, really, you know, again, charismatic performance. I love Tim Roth. Whenever he's with Quentin Tarantino, he really taps into that side of his acting that just kind of is like, okay, I like, I like Tim Roth, you know. 
And then Michael Madsen, a.k.a. Joe Gage in this film, was really interesting, kind of played that tough guy. Um, and then Bruce Dern, you know, everyone kind of knows who this is, but General Sandy Smithers. He was also in, he's been in a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies, um, but he, he played this old racist Confederate general who him and Samuel Jackson have a sit-down together, and that's one of the best scenes of the movie is when Samuel Jackson gives that story. Um, and then James Parks plays Obi Jackson. Uh, he was kind of like, he was that other eighth guy in the haberdashery, but he didn't really have much to do. But he was pretty funny. Um, kind of that comedic relief. And then shout out to Zoe Bell, who seems to be in all of Quentin Tarantino's films. And, you know, she's very charismatic and always has a good cameo. And I, and I appreciate about their, that I appreciate that about her craft is that she's very selective and seems to be more in touch with the artsy aspect of filmmaking, especially with Quentin Tarantino. And then, obviously, it, it being Quentin Tarantino, it wouldn't be a Quentin Tarantino movie without um, a cameo. And Channing Tatum is that cameo. He plays Jody, and he plays a fucking hick. So that's a very cool thing to see. And, um, you know, I love Channing Tatum. He's one of those guys that, you know, if you see him in a movie, it's funny. I mean, if you see, we all saw Bullet Train. He literally was just a questionably homosexual man in that film. And then in this, he's a guy with, like, one tooth who's trying to save his sister, uh, Donnerhue. But another sad thing about this film, I, I think this was produced... I'm not trying to get into anything political or anything like that, but Harvey Weinstein was an executive producer on this um, on this film. And... Uh, God, that's rough to even look at. The fact that he's even on Rotten Tomatoes still is crazy to me. But, um, yeah, you, th this movie, overall, I mean, on the tomato meter, it has 75%, and then as the audience score, it has 77%, which I, I agree with. I think it's a little too long. I think that, you know, there's some scenes in it that didn't have to be in it, and you'll know what I'm talking about, but, um... Now, overall, I think this is a very well-put-together film with great cinematography, but more importantly, really like how the, the, the structure of the story is told with the chapters and the, the narration by Quentin Tarantino at certain points in the film. I love that touch of detail, um, but I also really enjoy the individual performances by everyone in this film. I thought that that's what really held it together more than anything. Um, not really much in the soundtrack department. Really wish that there was, um, but, you know... Quentin Tarantino doesn't really rely on the soundtracks. Don't get me wrong, they're important, uh, and they're good when he has them in there, obviously, in all of his films. But as a whole, nothing that really stood out to me that kind of drew me into the to the to the kind of com the composition of the uh, the film with the soundtracks. So nothing crazy in that department. Um, but again, just a really well put together story, really interesting dialogue, and I really like that. Actually, I, I might actually change that to my favorite part about the movie is the dialogue, is how these characters interact with each other. Um, it's just really awesome. One thing about Quentin Tarantino's films is he does not have a filter, and you can only appreciate that about him, and only appreciate the actual rawness and the, the unfiltered, uncensored ship to the, to the conversations between characters, especially in a sensitive time like this. Um, but I'm just looking at some of the top critics. Apparently Adam Naiman is a cinemascope for... <laughs> For, for Rotten Tomatoes, this man on September 28th, 2017 said the Hateful Eight may really be sort of terrible. That's all he said about it. And then you have Candace Frederick, Real Talk Online, a top critic for um, Rotten Tomatoes, said while it's not his best film, parentheses, it's far too long and indulgent at times, 
Tarantino absorbs the audience into a scene, compelling you to look at each and every inch of it, indicative of how many vintage films... Okay, and his usual film playground. Yeah, so he, he really did whatever he wanted with this film, and that's kind of all he ever does and never has done. And you can appreciate that with it, because it's real, it's it's art, and, you know, it, it's never bad. But, you know, I'm seeing more than anything, you know, it's kind of looked like looked at by critics as kind of a mid-film, especially for Tarantino. I remember I saw this in theaters, and it was a pretty good theater experience, um... You know, I, I I didn't need to see it in theaters by any means, but at the same time, I'm glad that I did because I you know I was able to be enthralled. But again, three hours, nearly three hours—that's way too long. Uh, I mean, trim that down. Let's let's trim out some of the bullshit. You know, some of the feeder, the context—it doesn't even need to be in the film. Let's cut that out. Um, but just overall, I, I know he always pretty much just writes epics and these really long tales and stuff like that, which I love. Because, you know, when you're going into a movie like Quentin Tarantino's, you know, you're investing time because he's invested years into each of these movies. And it's going to, you know, it's not always going to be perfect. But, you know, this is probably, this might actually be his worst movie, to tell you, when, like when I break it down and think about it. Besides, you know, some people would put Jackie Brown down there, but I actually really like Jackie Brown. Um, but no, I, I think this might be his worst movie. Besides maybe Death Proof, I mean, you can argue that, but I like Death Proof as well. I think it's kind of got a, a, a odd, like, rewatch value to it, as well as, like, a decent cult following. It's it's one of those grindhouse films, man. You know, it's really gory. Like, there's going to be a big crowd for that, always. Um, but as far as Hateful Eights goes, I mean, they, they, did, they did a good justice on the time era of the post-Civil War, the appearance, the cosmetic, the... The, the 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 accents, the, the costumes, the guns, the whole setting of the haberdashery, the dialogue was really, really, really written well, um, you know, and it kind of matched up with, you know, what was going on back in that time, but also it kind of just made you feel like this could have actually fucking happened, you know what I'm saying? A couple people trapped in a haberdashery during a blizzard and shit just goes haywire. There's actually a movie called Haywire and I'm not saying that it has the same plot line, but it potentially does. Um, but let me just say this about this movie. My rating out of 10, I, I think I'm going to go with like a 7. I mean, again, it is really long. Um, and again, the soundtrack's not crazy. Um, it's very, very in-depth for some reasons at certain points. Um, but, you know, it, it's meant to captivate you in that regard. But again, you know, I just wish that it was a little shorter just for the audience's sake because... It was very long, and I don't know how you're supposed to stay completely invested in something nearly that long when it's kind of like a standalone film, you know, and I get it, you know, there's movies like that all the time, like Saving Private Ryan, but this wasn't that good (laughs) by any means, but again, 7 out of 10 is still above average in my opinion, so I think, you know, if you haven't watched this film, definitely give it a shot, because it is worth it, it's worth the time, Uh, if you love Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell, then you'll love this, um, but it really has good banter, good dialogue, good story, um, a good plot line that's steady. Some twists here and there. If you haven't, if you watch it for the first time, you'll you'll get you know you'll be surprised here and there. But just the overall murder mystery aspect of the film is really interesting and kind of keeps you interested and I guess invested in the story, but also the characters. Like, oh, I don't want, I don't want him to die. The guy's fucking no, that guy's fucking. That's the end. That, it's literally like um, it's like Clue. <laughs> It's like Clue, but with Samuel L. Jackson and a bunch of racists. And, you know, if you don't want to watch that, I don't know what you want to watch, you know? 
But um, no, overall, definitely check this film out for sure. It is worth it, in my opinion. They have really awesome, you know, little little, you know, I guess, fight scenes, I guess, but also it's mainly like the the vagueness of the film that keeps you on the edge of your seat throughout the first act, which when I say the first act, I'm talking about typically the first hour, maybe hour and a half, depending on how the, uh, how long the film is. Um, it was very interesting. You know, the opening was cool. You get to meet, and these guys get to meet, and I guess get used to each other's company for the next, you know, 24 to 36 hours due to the storm and the hazardous conditions. And then shit gets crazy when there's a murder in the haberdashery. So, I mean, it just, it kind of reminds me of, like, those old-fashioned kind of, like, murder cop movies, I guess you can say. Like, where it's, like, very blatantly, like, okay, so there's a murderer in here. Two people, three people are going to take charge because their innocence have been proven. And the rest we'll have to see. And it's just, you know, it's very, you know, it's not refreshing, or original, but it's almost like it's been pulled off the bottom shelf. You know what I'm saying? So it's not original, but it's not fresh either. But it's like, it's like okay, I'm stepping outside and I just got hit with a with a nice gust of fresh wind, cold wind. You know, that that's what this movie is, especially to me, um, because it's again the the theme and the like the genre of it. It's been used. It's been done, um, but it it hasn't been done. You know, quite like Quentin Tarantino can do it, but even then, he's done it. You know, with with Reservoir Dogs. You know, and you know he he took even a little bit of that and incorporated it into this. Because I mean, in Reservoir Dogs, they were flashing out of one room, but mainly the story took place in one setting because it's it's again these it's a bunch of characters just trying to figure it out. And that aspect of it is really cool because you get to learn more about each character. The dialogue has to be really good to keep you that interested in, like, one place, one setting, one night, you know? Like, timing in film is crucial because you don't want to, like, use too much up and make it unrealistic, especially for, like, if you're doing, like, something like this. You know, you have to have the hours pass or have it written perfectly so to where, like, you can have context for a conversation that took place an hour ago or something that took place when they first arrived, but it's not too far out because you can't just have a character remember something that someone said fucking four weeks ago. Just That just doesn't make sense. So I just really like how he's able to give context and write properly for whatever story he's actually trying to visually put out there. That's something I've always appreciated about Quentin Tarantino. And again, with this being one of his lesser films, it's not even a lesser film in general. It's above average, in my opinion. It might even be good. But to, to others, you know, obviously they disagree. But to me, I would give it that 7, maybe, you know, 7.5 out of 10. But overall, I would definitely recommend this to everyone out there listening because of, obviously, Samuel Jackson. And it's a Quentin Tarantino film. There's going to be something in there that captivates you or something in there that you'll remember, especially in this movie when Samuel Jackson gets his penile sucked by a hillbilly. And the storytelling for that is just outrageous. And then the fact that Quentin Tarantino came back in with a narration after the story's told is just even better. I, I mean, I, I remember being in the theater watching that scene, and I'm like, yo, what the fuck? Like, I was actually like, yo, I, what the fuck, bro? Like, and, and you know what? You know, for, for a director to, and a writer to do that, you know, props. But I just really don't think that needed to be in the movie, man. Like, I really don't. Like, I, I just don't. Um, but I guess shout out to Samuel Jackson. Um, he didn't Tom Holland it, if you will. 
Oh my god, that's 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 the only thing that's been on my Twitter the the the, the past couple of days is fucking Tom Holland getting. Oh my god, bro! I, I can't even like. I, I was on Disney Plus the other day, just scrolling through, and I just I came across some of his Spider Man movies, and I just turned away from them. I can't even look at his face because now all I see is him getting railed in the ass for some TV trailer. It's like okay, like don't get me wrong, bro. Don't get me wrong. I know acting is acting. I, I know. But, you know, in this day and age, when everything's a meme, it's a little dangerous to be doing something like that. And, you know, it's not 04. You can't pull a Jake Gyllenhaal or a Heath Ledger and, you know, be two homosexual cowboys in a film. Great movie. Brokeback Mountain, great movie. But if you're Tom Holland right now, I mean, I, I would be questioning everything because I just saw my, my girlfriend in a trailer where two dudes were going to run a train on her, but instead I'm getting a, uh, a, a dude. So I, I, guess, I guess Tom Holland may, might be winning. I don't, I don't really know anymore, but uh, I don't know why I'm adding this into the movie review. <laughs> but let's circle back, cir- circle back around to uh, Hateful Eight. Overall, again, like I said, probably seven, seven and a half out of ten. Definitely would recommend to everyone out there listening to this episode right now. And whatever platform you're listening to this on, uh, give the show a follow and a rating or a little download of the episode. It's greatly appreciated. Um, and make sure everyone out there is following us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, TikTok at Tea Time Reports. We're consistently posting on all those platforms. Make sure you give us a follow if you want to stay updated with not only the podcast information and news. But news on sports, film, music, maybe our our lives personally, you know, whatever you want to do. And if you want to send us a little uh, Instagram message or a Twitter message for some suggestions, some constructive criticism, you are more than welcome to do so. Um, But everyone out there, thank you for thank you so much for listening to my Hateful Eight review. I know I briefly touched up on this movie, you know, maybe in season one of the podcast, but I, I didn't do it a justice. It needed its own episode. So I really appreciate everyone for tuning into this episode of my Hateful Eight review. Uh, This is Trevor signing off. Take care, everyone.